you real quick, Ben, and then turn it over to him. Lord, we thank you for all the mean blessing you've given to us. Lord, we thank you most of all for Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. All right. Yep, I'm on. Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, I just want to say that I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach the Word of God before you this evening. Uh, and you all have been very gracious to receive me. I appreciate that. Uh, like Damon had mentioned, I've kind of been coming to your church since January. Uh, but not to worry, because you didn't just like look past me, ushers in the hallway or anything. I've, we've been meeting over there for the practical uh, ministry class. It's been super cool. Uh, learning a lot of stuff, and I just want to say that you all are very blessed with two men uh, after God's heart. I mean, they are passionate uh, for the kingdom of God, and I'm so thrilled to, to be under their mentorship, uh, at least in once a, a week, and I would definitely be grateful for an opportunity for something uh, more often than just once a week meeting, but I digress for now. Uh, so, I knew from the start that there was something different about the way that Damon had preached um, because, um, man, I first met Damon when I was a junior in high school, and I don't know about you all, uh, maybe it's been a while since you've been in high school, but uh, you're probably different since then. And so, uh, anyway, I was just uh, like, just a high school punk, uh, and Damon came and, and preached at my church for fifth quarter, and uh, man, I, all I know that after I heard the way that he preached, it just made me hungry for more of it. And, uh, and not because he's an awesome public speaker. I mean, he's not bad. But, uh, <laughs> but just because he uh, accurately described the word and the context and spoke of what God is calling us as believers to through his word. And, and I later learned that this action is called expositional preaching. Uh, so uh, from weekly interactions with your pastors, I know that... Uh, that it, what you receive every week here at Southside is just that, is expositional preaching. And so my prayer is that, you're, that you always hunger for this important aspect of corporate worship. Uh, so I just want to speak a little bit, because, I mean, you know my name, but you don't know much else about me, so I'll, I'll give you a little more details of who I am. I made a profession of faith when I was about 10 years old in a small Baptist church, the one that I'm currently a youth pastor at. Um, and I, I, I would say that I didn't take my faith very seriously until I was probably uh, 16 or so. Kind of had a gut check, and it was uh, real obvious to me that, uh, hold up, if I'm looking at the Word of God and I'm looking at my life, things aren't aligned, and I don't think it's the Word of God that's uh, distorted here uh, from what I've learned in Sunday school. And so that's whenever I kind of decided to, to make just a, a true commitment to the Lord, I would say. Uh, and just truly treasure Christ uh, for who He is, which is my salvation. And so, um, man, I, I started to become very curious uh, and, and skeptical of things because, uh, like I would mentioned, I'd never really heard expositional preaching before. And that should scare us as, a, as the church, as someone who's been raised in a church and didn't know what that meant, uh, didn't know what it meant to dig into the Word and what that, like, because I just... I mean, God bless his soul. He had a good heart, but uh, he just wasn't a very uh, invested pastor. And I'm just calling it as I see it. I'm not to rag on anybody, but uh, as a, 
as a young believer, man, I was not receiving any kind of support or anything to make me like know what to do uh, next, right? And so we call that act discipleship, right? So there was no discipleship after there was a conversion. They dunked me. They're like, all right, you're a believer. Everything's good. Now you're going to heaven. Here's your ticket. Uh, Little did I know that there was a process called sanctification that is a lifelong process uh, that never ends for any of us. So, so in that, uh, I just I kind of let that turn into anger for a while uh, and became cynical in some ways and hardened my heart uh, just because I felt like I had been cheated of being raised in church but not really even know what the gospel meant or how to tell people about Jesus. And so... Uh, I it probably hit the peak of skepticism uh, whenever I was a summer staffer at Kamishi Baptist Assembly, right, KBA. Uh, so I was a staffer there, and there has not been a more important time, I think, in my life for just exponential growth in the, in the Word and the understanding of the Word. And so uh, even then, I was like, man, I will never... I'm just not a preacher. Like, I'm, I'm too goofy. I don't, I'm not very good at public speaking. Like, I'm terrified right now. All these things are not lining up, God. I don't know what you're calling me to, but I just don't think I'm capable. And the great thing is, is that uh, he doesn't ask us to be capable. He makes us capable of, of what he has in store for us. So, uh, that's just a little bit about me. I started uh, being the youth pastor at Panama First Baptist about a year and three months ago officially, uh, th- three, four months, something like that. And it has been such an awesome time, and some of my students made it out tonight, so, uh, yeah. yeah, look at them. Okay. <laughs> so let's get into the Word. Uh, enough about all that kind of stuff. Let's go to the book of John. Um, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book of the New Testament. We're going to be looking at chapter 4. So, so before we get into this text, I would just like to give you a little more context and perspective of where we're at in the Gospel of John. So, in chapter 3, other than the the verse that everyone knows, John 3.16, there's a very important uh, interaction uh, between Jesus and Nicodemus, who is a, a great teacher for the Jewish nation, and he he came to uh, Christ in the night, okay, when no one was around, and asked him some some deep questions, and they were over his head. Jesus' simple answers to them, and uh, over the head of of even one of the greatest teachers, you know, and Jesus calls him out for that, uh, but. I want to kind of compare that to what we're going to see in chapter 4, uh, whereas Jesus comes to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, which um, I'm guessing since this is the Sunday night crew, uh, that we're, I don't want to make the assumption that we're all believers, but we've at least probably been exposed to the Word and know that Samaritans and Jews don't really jive. That's not a relationship that's uh, like happy. It's not peanut butter and jelly, right? It's like... I don't know. I'm not even going to attempt another analogy. I'm just going to stick to the script. Uh, So Jesus comes to this uh, Samaritan woman at the well, and he's weary from traveling, 
and ask her for a drink, and she says that you have no bucket to get it, the water with, and uh, he goes on to tell her about living water. And, uh, and so in that, uh, he says, hey, I got this living water, and you'll never be thirsty again. And she says, well, um, you know, how do I get to this water? And uh, Jesus says, hey, go call your husband. Tell him to come here. And uh, so she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have five, you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. Uh, what you have said is true. And so uh, if you'll direct your attention to verse 19, that's whenever we'll start reading. Um, but I kind of skimmed over something on accident, but I really just wanted to show that Jesus goes to the Samaritan woman during the day uh, and seeks her out uh, with a purpose. And, and we see like that Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman are in the same boat. They're both sinners. But the difference is, is that Nicodemus uh, is not willing to humble himself or what he knows. He's not hungry for the Word of God. He's not hungry for Christ the way that the woman at the well is. And so, um, actually, before we read, let's go ahead and pray. So if you'll bow with me. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you that we can gather in your name to worship you. Lord, I pray that you would ease my nerves and uh, you would just let me boldly proclaim your gospel unashamed. Uh, Lord, I pray that, that your word is accurately portrayed in the way that we uh, look into it, Father, and most importantly, that it's applied in our lives. Lord, let us reflect your light in all that we do. In Christ's name, amen. So verse 19 says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So, uh, we see that whenever Jesus begins to get a little bit personal and starts calling out uh, some issues in her life, uh, that the Samaritan woman tries to divert to a theological debate that really is uh, arbitrary to the conversation at this point, right? Uh, it's kind of irrelevant about uh, her situation at home having five husbands uh, and where to worship. That's kind of irrelevant to what Jesus is, is going for in this conversation, right? Uh, and I believe that sometimes we try to do the same thing with Jesus. We try to distract Him with technicalities and guard our favorite sin of legalism. Uh, as we learn from the book of Galatians, legalism is not the path of, to godliness, yet so often I believe we try to set this snare to maintain comfort and not get to the root of the issue, that is, our sinful hearts that are hopeless apart from the grace and mercy of God. So this rabbit trail was not going to lead Christ astray uh, from the point he was about to make. In fact, 
she inadvertently set the stage for Christ to answer an important question about worship. So from verse 21, the first conclusion that we can draw from this passage is that the location is irrelevant to worship. Uh, And so uh, the time is here that we no longer must seek a temple to worship and be in God's presence. Uh, But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, uh, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So as the church, we must be reminded that uh, even without this building, there is a church. Uh, that is not to say that, that's not to say that we shouldn't respect this space and be good stewards of what the Lord has trusted us with, but there is nothing special or spiritual apart from the gathering of believers in inanimate objects. Uh, so in the Old Testament, before the coming of Christ, this was not the case. Uh, for we have precise instructions of how a temple is to be laid out, right down to the length of the altars. And uh, for this building to be considered holy and worthy in the Old Testament, uh, for the dwelling of the presence of God, it had to be absolutely perfect. Uh, by Christ's blood, we are made to be the perfect dwelling for the Holy Spirit. And that is what Christ is conveying when He says the hour is coming and is now here in verse 23, because of Christ being 100% God and 100% man, living a sin-free life, dying a brutal, innocent death that we earned, and conquering death, we have been bought with the price of His blood. And the evidence of this new covenant covenant, uh, between God and man is represented in Luke 23, uh, verses 44 through 46. So this is about the crucifixion, right? So it was about the sixth hour, uh, that's about noon, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, uh, while the sun, sun's light fell, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and having said this, he breathed his last. So the, the point of emphasis here is on the tearing of the veil in the temple, right? Uh, that's, that's an important aspect of what the Jewish temple was because that's what kept the holy place like separated from the most holy place. Uh, and you can read more about that in, in the Old Testament of like just the seriousness of this, right? So the, the terror of the veil in the temple symbolizes that God is in our midst and we're constantly in His presence in a way that we need not a specialized dwelling place for the Lord, but we are His dwelling place. Uh, so traditions and ways of our father, fathers is not what true worship is linked to. Just like the mountains where the Jews and Samaritans worship were no longer an important detail to signify holiness, that is, to be set apart, uh, but that the Lord is pursuing the heart of His people. The Lord is pursuing the heart of His people. Right? So... Jew and Gentile alike, not by location, style, or social status, but seeking the heart of His people. When God reveals the depth of His love, mercy, and grace to us through His Holy Spirit by the work of Christ, the Son, there is a natural effect that we are inclined to do, and that effect is called worship. And this is what the Father is after. That is our purpose for being created, is to worship our Creator, who is God the Father. 
So we also see in this text that uh, the Father seeks true worship. And this has been God's plan from the start. Uh, his, his purpose of making man different from all of creation was for us to knowingly honor and glorify Him as our only hope, for us to know the magnitude of His greatness, for us to be aware of His relentless love, and that we would desire Him and acknowledge Him in all our ways. His holiness is unlike anything we can fathom, yet we are born longing for this fulfillment. We are born to praise, serve, and seek joy, but far too often we are easily satisfied with the pleasures of this world. Uh, this des- these desires are innate, but where our heart is, there also is where our treasure is found. So I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis. Uh, I, I really wish I was smart enough to understand most of his stuff, though. Uh, so in his essay, The Weight of Glory, uh, C.S. Lewis says, says it like this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Uh, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So we shouldn't settle for the, for the counterfeit joy that this world yearns for us to accept as the gospel. If you have spent any amount of time in the Word of God, uh, you can conclude that we are not seeking pleasure or gratification in this life. This is the prosperity gospel, and it's no gospel at all. Um, And so on the other hand, uh, the psalmist says uh, in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the ways of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. So that's not to say that we shouldn't enjoy the life that we have, but we should delight in what the Lord has given us, right? So it doesn't mean that we have to be stoic and like completely unaffected by the work of God, right? Uh, we can rejoice. In fact, we're called to rejoice, and I say again, rejoice. Uh, so, um, so that's what our, our life isn't based on that, on the pleasure that we receive now. So this is our our means to discovering what true worship is. Whether internal wrestling of fears, doubts, and regrets, or external in the form of persecution, when we delight in what the Lord has instructed us in the midst of suffering, we are working toward godliness and finding joy in the true worship of Christ. True worship begins with intake, meditation, and delighting in God's Word. So, One of my favorite authors, Donald S. Whitney, uh, who's the author of Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, puts it like this. Now, spiritual discipline is more important than the intake of God's Word. Right? We agree with that. Okay, good. Good. Making sure you're awake. (laughs) Nothing can substitute for it. There is simply no healthy Christian life apart from a diet of the milk and meat of Scripture. Uh, The reason for this the reasons for this are obvious. In the Bible, God tells us about Himself, especially about Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God. The Bible unfolds the law of God to us and shows us how we've all broken it. Uh, there, we learn how Christ died as a sinless, willing substitute 
for breakers of God's law and how we must repent and believe in Him to be right with God. In the Bible, we learn the ways and will of the Lord. We find in Scripture how God wants us to live and what brings the most joy and satisfaction in life. None of this eternally essential information can be found anywhere else except the Bible. Therefore, if we would know God and be godly, we must know the Word of God intimately. So in order to give true worship, uh, we must understand that it begins with a hunger for the Word of God. This is to say that if your only intake of Scripture is on Sundays or Wednesdays, why would you expect your worship to feel genuine when you don't know or do not care to know more about who God is? He owes us nothing, yet gives us everything that is true and lasting on this earth. Uh, It is essential to have a high value of what God has instructed through His Word. That is not to say that this comes easily while when we are still living in the flesh. Uh, So we must die to our flesh, right? Paul puts it like this in Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So true worship requires a daily sacrifice of your wants and desires, trusting that God's will is greater than yours. In order to run to the love of the Father, we must run from sin and fleshly desires, and this comes by intentional pursuit of the Father every day in our lives. Uh, so at this point, if you're thinking like, wow, worship's only in songs, right? Not the case. If this is any clear instruction, uh, we, can, we know that Jesus isn't just talking about the songs that we sing and considering that worship, but rather... Uh, Our lives are are the worship, and we'll get to that later on. So so Christ says in verse 23, chapter 4 in John, that true worship must be done in spirit and in truth. Uh, But what does he mean by this statement? And so we want to kind of dig into what that means and unpack, uh, because uh, maybe maybe some of you are like me and grew up in church and always heard, like, you always got to worship in spirit and truth. And so... Uh, we're going to see what that actually like, really means rather than just saying it and not having any idea what it means. So uh, it's best to look to Scripture to define and prove Scripture. So that's what we're going to do here. And so you may have been familiar with this text and viewed these terms, spirit and truth, as separate but equal in importance. And, and the way that I've heard this point of view is to say that spirit means like spontaneous expressions of God dwelling in you. Not, not always in a way that we have seen it abused with the charismatic exploitation and mockery of what is, uh, what is the means to be in the, God, in the Spirit of God. So let me re-say re- that. Uh, that worshiping in spirit is not does not mean the way that we've seen it abused or exploited uh, by some charismatic uh, movements, 
that, that's not what it means to be in the Spirit of God. Uh, but simply engaging in worship that is public, whether that be singing, praising, or meeting together as a congregation. And to be in truth is to be in ground, grounded in the Word of God and making sure that all our ways align with Scripture. So I thought that was pretty, that's what I understood from past sermons I'd heard about this. Uh, but I want to open up your mind and try to give you a different perspective, not new, because anytime someone gets in a, a pulpit and says, I'm going to show you something new in the Bible, you should probably kick them out of your pulpit. Uh, because if someone's pulling something new out of this, then uh, I would definitely question where they're at. Uh, but I believe the divorce of these two terms allows too much room for our corrupt hearts to get in the way of what true worship is and puts focus on our actions or lack thereof instead of the Spirit of God who is worthy of all glory. So uh, simply put, I believe that Christ is saying uh, whenever he's, He says worship in spirit and truth that those terms are one term, so to speak, because you cannot worship in spirit without truth and you can't worship without can't worship truth without spirit. So, uh, that's, that's my point of view on it. Uh, so, take what he says in John 14, verses 16 and 17. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but welcome to. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Uh, you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. Will be in you, I'm sorry. And so uh, most all the time that, that the Holy Spirit's referenced in the book of John, he's referred to as the spirit of truth. And so I don't think that's some coincidence. I don't think that 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 was just like random, that, that Christ chose the word spirit and truth here and to use the same to describe the Holy Spirit. So, where the Spirit is, there will be truth. Where there is truth, that is where the Spirit of God is. This means all we must do is trust in the promises of God by making Christ the Lord of our lives. To trust in Jesus is as Lord and treasure His salvation yields a worship of spirit and truth. We ought never put emphasis on Scripture. On the, of, we, ought not never, we ought never put emphasis of Scripture on the works of man, but rather on the glory of God that we seek in worship. This is where we find the purpose in our lives. Uh, so, I don't know how long Jim usually keeps you all. But I'd probably have five more minutes, okay? So if you can hold out that much longer, we'll be all right. Uh, so to summarize this entire sermon of what it means to worship in spirit and truth, uh, God seeks true worship by conquering our sinful hearts by the work of Christ and provides us with His Word so that we know that He alone is worthy of our lives. True worship comes not in buildings or songs or styles, although they can all be used to glorify God, but rather for a hunger that is from God through His Spirit of truth that is only accessible by the work of Jesus to know Him better and give Him all that is rightfully His. 
when we have a desire to know God better, we will develop a desire for others to know Him. And I think that's something that we've kind of missed the point of, uh, of us knowing God is for us to share the gospel, right? It's not just for our salvation to be just for ourselves, for us to sit in a pew and die eventually, throw some money in the offering plate. Like, that's not anything what the church is called to. And, and I hope that that's perfectly clear. And uh, I'm not here often enough to know how it is around here, but I'm, I'm sure that's not the case uh, from, from, your interac- from the interaction with your pastors. Uh, so... That is the gospel for us to, um, to know God and to make Him known and, and know what Christ has done for us. Uh, so, so that is the hope that we have in Jesus. We trust not in any works or merit we hold compared to an infinitely holy, perfect, and sovereign God, but rather by His incarnation of Christ, fulfilling the law and dying the death that we deserve Right? That's the death that we've earned. For the wages of sin is death, right? In Romans 6. Uh, that's what we've earned is death by our sin. Uh, that we would be restored by the indwelling of His Spirit and those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. So, that's, that's the brief. Like, if you didn't catch anything else, I think that paints a pretty clear picture of what worship is. Uh, and, and why we're called to it. And it's not something that, that we have to work for, we have to work toward. Of course, there are spiritual disciplines that we should uh, make daily efforts to, to strive for. But that's not, the, that's not the point of it. Worship happens naturally. You worship anything, even if you're not a believer. Some people worship football on Sundays or Friday nights. Uh, some, some people worship Monday night raw. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things in this world that we devote our time and effort to. We, man, we devote our time to t-ball practices or what, like, our work. Like, we, and I know what you're thinking, you're like, I don't worship my job. My job's terrible. Uh, And hopefully that's not the case. You should see it as an opportunity to share the Word of God. So, uh, but that's all to say that, like, whatever you're investing your time into, and you find yourself doing in your spare time, uh, heck, you could be worshiping your TV screen uh, or your cell phone or Facebook, right? We can make idols of anything. Uh, a golden calf can be hidden right here in your pocket, right? So, so I know that uh, whenever I was younger, I would always like kind of scoff and be like, who would worship a golden calf anyway, you know? But... Uh, any, I mean, I find myself, you know, spending way too much time on Instagram. That's what I do. That's what young people do. Or coffee. I forgot to mention that in my whole, my whole thing here, my whole spill of who I am. If I look vaguely familiar, I've worked at the coffee cup for like four years. So there's a pretty good chance you've seen me there if you've been there at all. So, uh, I failed to mention that. Man, Damon's going to grade me hard on this. <laughs> and then he's going to roast me in front of everyone in the pastor's class, and then I'll never be back here again. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, it's nice. It's nice to loosen up. Okay, so, in conclusion, uh, our worship is to live lives daily of humble, meek, self death 
and glorifying God in all things that we do. I will leave you with these instructions from Paul in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. These are my favorite verses. My, my students can vouch for me. It would be hard to find a sermon where I don't somehow at least like allude to this part of Scripture. So, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, we are just humbled to be in your presence and to, to look into your word and, and really try to understand what worship is and what that looks like in our lives. And to understand that it's not just found in songs or things that we do on Wednesday or Sunday, Father, but rather it's found in the way that we live our lives daily and in the ways that we seek you. Lord, I pray that we surrender uh, every aspect of our life and in all our ways we acknowledge you, Father, uh, because you know what's best for us. And Lord, I just pray that, that we trust you this week. And, and God, I pray that we are sensitive to the opportunities that you provide for us uh, in the works as far as sharing the gospel, Father. I, I know that you've prepared works for us and we should walk in them, Father. And I pray that we walk in them and walk in love this week and, and reflect your love to others. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you all.